Well, once again, everybody, welcome to Life Church this morning. How many people are excited to be in the house of the Lord? Woo! And if you don't feel it, tell yourself you are, because it's true. No, it's so good to be in the house of the Lord. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. Once again, my name is Matthew Jonathan Jansen. I am six foot four and a half. I am married to the beautiful Tanya Jansen, who it's been 19 years now, babe. This amazing woman. And uh, got these three amazing kids. And we are so grateful to be your pastors. We're so honored. Uh, can't believe that God lets us serve in this way. Can't believe that we get to serve in White Rock, BC, this beautiful place on this beautiful day. Um, my goal this morning is not to keep you here super long. I'm hoping to get you out into that sunshine as soon as I'm able to. But before we do that, we have the ultimate pleasure of worshiping God by going to His Word. How many are excited about the Word of God this morning? Amen. Now, before we do that, I just wanted to uh, make mention this morning, we have some very special visitors, some guests that are with us. Actually, one of them got up and gave a word this morning. Craig and Christy Henkelman are here with us from Alberta. Can we give them a big hand, you guys? These guys go way back with us. They are family, and we're so grateful to have you guys with us today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being faithful to hear God's word.
It's your word, Lord God, that will not pass away, even though heaven and earth will pass away. Lord, it is your word, Lord God, that it will accomplish what it is set out to do, and it will not return void. And so, Father, this morning, we submit ourselves to your word. We pray, Lord God, that you would take these lips of clay, Lord God, and you would put your anointing on it, Lord Jesus, that your word would have its way in our hearts this morning, Lord God, that we would be changed by you, Lord God, and, Lord God, that we would be transformed even as we come before you this morning, Lord God, even as we look in a mirror and see the glory of God, we would be transformed and changed into your image from glory to glory, Lord Jesus. Father God, we pray that your word would speak to us this morning. We pray, Lord God, it would change us, and we pray that not one person would leave this place the same. And everybody said, amen. Okay, so the big question that we're asking this morning is this. How does your faith help you practically when you face temptation? How does your faith help you practically when you face temptation? And here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive right into the answer to this question because I believe the key to this particular question is actually found in the first verse that we just read way back at the beginning of my reading. In James chapter 1 verse 12, and here's what it says as we dive into this the way that we have been, line by line. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now here's the first thing that we find out about temptation in this passage. It's that it is blessed is the man who endures temptation. Notice it doesn't say blessed is the man who avoids temptation. You know, this would be that person you say, well, how do you live such a blessed life? Well, I just avoid temptation. It doesn't affect me. You know, like, I, I don't even see it when I'm tempted. I, it, doesn't even, it doesn't even bother me. Why? How do you handle that? It's called running shoes. See, whenever a temptation comes my way, I just spot it, and I turn around, and I run the opposite direction. And it's amazing. How do you keep relationships? I don't. I just run away. Okay, well, how do you watch TV? I don't. I just threw it out the window. Okay, well, how do you avoid uh, the stuff online? I'm not online. Who needs that? I don't. I just avoid it. Oh, okay. Well, then what do you do with your life? I don't know. I just kind of sit in a chair all day. And then when it comes my way, I run the opposite direction. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say the blessed is the person that avoids temptation. Church, how many know that temptation is inevitable? Temptation is something that's going to come to all of us. Temptation is something that we all experience in our lives. It also doesn't say blessed is the man who conquers temptation. How you defeat temptation? Oh, temptation's got nothing on me. Yeah, I just face it down, you know, bring out the sword of the Spirit here and there, you know, the, the Word of God, and I just, psh, 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 and it just move on forward, no problem. Temptation comes my way when the demon steps in my path in the name of Jesus Christ, I tell the sucker to jump back. A little bit of old school rap for you this morning. Keep you awake. Doesn't matter to me, man. I just face it. Temptation is not going to get in my way. I'm going to face it. I'm going to overcome it. No problem. No problem. No, no. This is what it says. It says, blessed is the one who endures temptation. What do we find out from those words? Number one, we find out that everybody's going to face temptation. That is an inevitability of life. That there are going to be things that are going to come our way that are going to tempt us as we walk on the narrow path towards Jesus to, to take a detour and go off of that path. 
There's always going to be things that are going to come our way that are going to try and pull us away from Jesus, pull us away from his path, pull us away from the way that we know that we ought to go. And what the Bible says here is it is blessed is the one, not who avoids it. You know, some of you right now are dealing with, with um, the consequences of sin in your life and, and you didn't avoid it and so there's this regret and there's this shame. It's not avoids it. It's not just conquers it because the one who conquers temptation is actually Christ in you, the hope of glory. But it endures temptation. Pushes through temptation. Goes through it. Doesn't allow it to hold on to you. Doesn't allow it to remain in you. But continues to move through and endures it. And when the temptation comes, keeps their eyes fixed on the prize who is Jesus. You see, the first thing we learn about temptation is that it's, it's inevitable. It will happen. It's something that is to be endured. But then the second thing we find out from this passage is this. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which, is, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, in order to unpack the power of this passage, we kind of have to get an understanding that's greater than just what's written right here. Because in our modern times, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to propose to you, I know for me at least, this idea of a crown is not enough of a reward for me. You're like, whoa, you did you just say that? Yeah, I'm just being honest. Like, it doesn't have a lot of meaning to me. If I have a crown, what, what does that mean? Uh, you know, I, the crowns are are kind of, I don't know, it's just not something in our, in our society that we would say, okay, a crown, that's nice, you know, but, but really, there's got to be something greater. There's got to be something more that pulls us forward. There's got to be something greater that pushes us to overcome and to endure temptation. There's got to be a greater reward, and do you know who that greater reward is? His name is Jesus. You see, I believe that the key to overcoming temptation you know, how does our faith help us to face temptation? I believe the key is actually found right here in chap verse, chapter 1, verse 12, because it tells us, blessed is then who endures temptation, he'll receive a crown of life, and it, it's for all of those who love him. And I believe that the key here, as we're going to dive into this today, we're going to go a little bit deeper, but as we dive into this today, is that your passion for the things of God must be greater than your passion for the things of this world. Notice it says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Why? Because of his love for God. Because of his love for God. David Guzik says it this way, the passions of sinful temptation can only really be overcome by a greater passion. And that is the passion for the honor and glory and relationship with him. With God. Rick Warren says it this way, the secret of endurance is to remember that your pain is temporary, but your reward will be eternal. Come on, the Bible tells us in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. Do you believe that this morning, church? Do you know that to be true? That there is a greater reward. There is a greater passion. There is a greater fulfillment, and his name is Jesus Christ. It's not the things of this world that we hold so tightly to. It's for those who love him. And when love enters the equation, the recognition from the one you love holds much greater value. How many know when love enters the equation, it's a powerful, powerful, not only emotion, it's a powerful reality that can pull you out of the deepest, darkest places. That power of love can pull you out and can pull you forward to endure temptation. 
Mark chapter 12, verse 30 tells us, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. In other words, in James's mind, what's actually being tested here is your love for God. So the key to overcoming temptation is to have a greater passion. The key to overcoming temptation is to know the greater reality, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? So, James 1.12, and then James 1.13 goes on to say this, and it starts to unpack what is temptation. It starts to answer the question, where does it come from? James chapter 1 verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted for, by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. James begins to delve into this idea here that where does temptation come from? And, and there was kind of this ancient idea that because everything comes from God, doesn't temptation also come from him? But James tells us that's not the case. James tells us that when we are tempted, we cannot say we are tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Vance Pittman, the pastor, says this, God can be the source of our trials, but he can never be the source of our temptations. See, God tests people. God puts us into positions and allows us to be put into positions where our faith is tested. Remember we talked about this in the first day that when you are tested and you are, you're going through a trial like that, that God allows you to go in, it's not so that there can be something that is taken away from your life, but that God actually tests you and tries you so that he can add to your life. He says, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. But let perseverance have its perfect work in you that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So when you face a trial or a temptation, it's God adding to your life. When it's, a, when it's a trial, pardon me, when it's a temptation, this is different. A temptation comes from our own sinful passions that exist within us. Temptations are born of the enemy. And how does temptation work? Temptation starts with our desires. A lot of times, they're good, innocent desires. Desires like hunger. Sexual desire, nothing wrong with that. A desire for money. Again, it's not that you have money, it's does money have you. These things can all be good, innocent desires that are within our hearts, that God has even put there, that there's, there's actually a, a plan in place, and there's actually a, 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 um, opportunities in place to fulfill these desires in a godly way. But then what the enemy does is he comes in and he starts to twist these godly desires and hunger can become gluttony. Sexual desire can become lust. And desire for money can become greed. These desires start to rise up within us. And we start to look for a fulfillment to these desires in the world around us. Well, God has already prepared us, prepared for us a way to fulfill these desires. He is the ultimate fulfillment. 1 John 2 verse 16 says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And we wrestle with this. The lust of the flesh, I want it. The lust of the eyes, I'll look for it. The pride of life, and it won't hurt me. 
See, that's how temptation works. You have to have a desire for something first, and then it has to be twisted out of the plan of God. And when those two come together, when the item and the desire come together, it conceives and gives birth to sin. And sin, the Bible tells us, when it is full of grown, brings forth death. Ephesians 4, says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitfulness of lusts. Colossians 3, 5 says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. You know, I really think that there's a key in there as well. Here's the thing. Sin and temptation will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will charge you more than you ever imagined. Desire connects to temptation, which gives birth to sin, which grows up into death. And we see this in Romans chapter 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, now we come back to our big question today and our four points. How does your faith help you when you face temptation? And we continue on in James chapter 1, verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Here's my first point. Do not be deceived. Every sin in my life comes from choosing to believe a lie rather than the truth. Every sin in my life comes from choosing to believe a lie rather than the truth. David Guzik says this, Satan's greatest strategy in temptation is to convince us that the pursuit of our corrupt desires will somehow produce life and goodness in us. If we remember that Satan only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, then we can more effectively resist the temptations of temptation. Every sin in my life comes from choosing to believe a lie rather than the truth. And, And here's the lie. This is the lie. The lie is this. You know what? God, he's just a big ultimate killjoy. God's just up there. He doesn't want you to experience the joy of this world around us. He doesn't want you to know and experience what it means to feel that, 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 that life in you. That's, that's not God. That's not what he wants. You have to choose it for yourself. You have to figure it out for yourself. That's the lie. But the reality is, our God designed you. He skillfully wrought you in your mother's womb. And he designed you, and he knows you better than any, any being on this planet. And the God that designed you and prepared you and knows you and has each one of your days written down in a book before you lived one of them, that God also knows and understands what it will take to get, see you satisfied and fulfilled. In your presence is fullness of joy. That is the truth. That is the truth. Now the question is, Do you believe it? This has been the strategy since the beginning. This has always been the case. Right from the very beginning. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, we see um, Eve being tempted by the serpent, by the devil. And, and, And the serpent comes and says this, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the fruit of the garden? Remember this? Eve is in the garden one day, hanging out, just walking around, living this free life, satisfied, fulfilled, everything that they need. And all of a sudden, the serpent comes in a tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the one tree that Adam and Eve were not allowed to eat from. 
and Eve and the serpent comes and 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 and, and appears before Eve and says this has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden and the woman said to the, to the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the garden uh, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden God has said you shall not eat it nor shall you touch it lest you die and then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that was pleasant to the eye, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave to her husband with her and he ate it. And this is the question that comes to us in the midst of temptation. Did God truly say? Is God truly who he says he is? Is God truly able to satisfy you and fulfill you? Is God truly enough for you? It's the same lie. It's the same lie. Every sin in my life comes from choosing to believe a lie rather than the truth. The enemy wants to convince you that God doesn't understand you and cannot fulfill you. But church, this is a lie. Because our God knows you. Our God sees you. And our God can satisfy and fulfill you. Amen? And then James 1.17, in fact, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Number two, in contrast to the lie of sin, all truly good things do come from God. Amen? All truly good things do come from God. Moving on, James 1, 18, 21. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So we're asking the question, how does my faith help me to overcome temptation? And I'm telling you, first of all, that we're going to come back and we're going to explain that in just a moment. But the first point is every sin in my life comes from choosing to believe a lie rather than the truth. In contrast to the lie of sin, all truly good things do come from God. And then number three, the word of God is truth. And it needs to be implanted by God and needs to be received daily. The word of God. The Bible tells us if we receive it with meekness, it is able to save our souls. God implants the word in our hearts. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. But this is the covenant that I make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. John Piper quotes it this way. Before we were born again, our hearts were full of other things that pushed out the word of God. We are like people who are so stuffed with candy between meals that when the feast is offered, we are not hungry. In fact, our stomachs turn at the thought of eating. Church, we need to cultivate a hunger for the Word of God. We need to cultivate a hunger for truth. We need to cultivate a hunger for His living Word. In Psalm 119, verse 9, it says this, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your Word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you remember the great battle here for temptation is the, is the battle between the lie and the truth. 
And church, let me tell you right now, where do we find truth? There is a world out there that is searching for truth. There are people that are looking for it in their Instagram, and they're searching for it in their social media, and they're searching for it in the news outlets, and they're searching for it all around us, and everybody's looking and grasping and trying to grab a hold of truth. And church, we have the living truth right here in our hands. And it is the Word of God. We need to have this word implanted in us. And we need to receive it daily. In that sense, the word of God is less like an organ that's planted in our hearts, you know, in our bodies, like a kidney or a, what's another organ in our bodies? Lung or a, what's a, what's a random one? Somebody pick a random one. Huh? Huh? Or a gallbladder, Right? It's less like that, you know, it's, well, the word's in me, it just stays there. You know what it's more like, church? The word of God is like oxygen. You need to breathe it in and breathe it out. You need it to survive. And guess what you need with oxygen? You need it every day. You need it every moment of every day. Church, we need the word of God to be planted in our hearts every day, every day, every day. And how do we receive it? We receive it with meekness. And when we talk about receiving it with meekness, it refers to this idea of humility. In other words, it's not this idea of, well, I'll take the word and I will put my uh, glasses on and I'm just going to pick up that part. Yeah, that's good for me. And uh, that part right there seems good. That's not good. So I'm just going to cut that out. And uh, we'll just take this part. No, meekness means we come with humility. We say, God, speak to me from your word. I receive it just as you've written it, Lord Jesus. I receive it without suspicion. I receive it without pride. And I say, God, speak to me today. Now we move on, James chapter 122. But be doers of the word and not only hearers, deceiving yourselves. Won't read that whole part now, but this is the idea. The word of God also needs to be applied daily. We need to live it out in our daily lives. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing between the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, is in the, the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. This is a living word, and it needs to be seen in us. We need to be walking Bibles. You should, you should be, people should poke you, and the word of God should come out. Come on. So the question that we ask at the beginning is, how does your faith help when you face temptation. We've kind of talked about a little bit of how temptation works. We've talked about it, that it's our own sinful desires that line up and, and join up with temptations, and which are twisted uh, truths around us that we, we kind of glom onto to try and find satisfaction and help, when really the truth is that the satisfaction and help that we need is found in Jesus. So how does faith help when you face temptation? Well, we're going to go back to those points again, and we're going to answer the question. Number one, every sin in my life comes from choosing to believe a lie rather than the truth. Here's how it helps. Faith causes you to align yourself with truth. John 8, 31 says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if, I abide in, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Amen? Faith causes you to align yourself with truth. Oh, church, we need the truth. We need the word of God. We need it to come alive in our hearts every day. Number two, in contrast to the lie of, of sin, all truly good things come from God 
And here's the faith statement. Because faith aligns you with truth, you can see and believe that God's way is better. Amen? Because your way is better. Right? Your way is better. Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Number three, the word is implanted by God and needs to be received daily. This is our faith statement. The truth that faith aligns with is found in the word of God. You say, where do we find this truth? We find it in his word, in his living word. That's why we need to stay in the word, church. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And finally, number four, the word of God needs to be applied daily. And this is the faith statement. Faith is choosing to pursue God's standards because you trust him. Because you trust him. Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Faith causes you to align yourself with truth. And because you're aligned with truth, you can see and believe God's way is better. The truth that faith aligns you with is found in the word of God. And finally, faith is choosing to pursue God's standard found in the word of God because you trust him. When your love for Jesus is greater than your love for things that tempt you, then you can overcome temptation. Then you can endure. Why? Because your love for him is the greater passion. Is the greater passion. So as we close today, church, I ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment, and ask yourself this question. Has my love for the Lord grown cold? Have I allowed the passions of this world to become a poor substitute for the greatest passion? And if so, am I ready to give my heart back to him? Church, I believe in a God that can revive and restore. I believe in a God that can, can reveal himself to us in a moment. I believe in a God that can make all things new, even today. And if you're here today and you say, Matt, my passion and my love for God has grown cold. And I've found myself looking to other things in this world, trying to fill that void and fill that longing in me. And I've been looking into other things and I've allowed myself to, to buy into the lie that God can't satisfy me, that God can't fulfill me. And I've been looking for it in other places. And today I want to take a stand. And today I, I, I want to raise up my hand and I want to say, Lord, restore my passion for you. David says this way, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. When you have that greater passion, when you have that greater understanding of who God is, then you will have the strength to endure temptation. If that's you today, you say, man, I just need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. I need to be refreshed in my spirit. 
I've been giving in to things that I know I shouldn't be giving in to, and today I need the presence of God to come and enrapture my heart once again so that my pursuit is for Him. If that's you today, wherever you are, every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment, just raise your hand wherever you are. I see those hands all over the place. All over the place. All over the place. I want to give you a word today. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, Lord Jesus, for your word that it's living and active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord God, for your truth, Lord Jesus, that you are with us. And your word says you will never leave us nor forsake us, God, that you go before us, Lord Jesus, that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And this morning, Lord God, we pray the prayer of David that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation. Father God, we pray that you would, God, right now, remove the lies of the enemy from our mind. The lies that come and say that, that you will never satisfy, that you will never fulfill, that you are not able, Lord God. And we remove those lies in Jesus' name. And we align ourselves with the truth of your word, which says that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that is working in us. We align ourselves with your thoughts. We align ourselves with your life, and we pray that you would restore to us that joy. And God, stir up that love in our hearts for you. Stir up that love in our hearts towards you, Lord Jesus, that we would pursue you. Oh God, with a fresh passion and a fresh hunger, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good, and we would know your goodness. We thank you, Lord God, that you are more than enough for us. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. Help us walk that out this week, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen.